Good evening. Evening. Another uh, beautiful day today, right? November, late November, and we're boiling down to the uh, the last uh, part of Romans. We are right at the end of the letter of Romans, and uh, I want to thank you guys for being here all this time as we have dealt with a uh, pretty long book, and uh, we spent some considerable time on it, I guess. And it has been uh, very enjoyable and very uh, enriching. Uh, rich, enriching? Has it been enriching to us? Can I say that? Yeah. Okay. And uh, probably edifying would even be better, wouldn't it? Hopefully that uh, God will be glorified through it. We're not going to end. We'll be back in January, Lord willing. And uh, yeah, one more week. There's one more week. One more week. On the 30th, that'll be the last one. So we'll take it up to December. So I, I know there are a lot of verses to cover tonight, but um, and then there's chapter 16 to go. <laughs> that's that's what we have. But we'll um, we'll certainly give it a shot. There's more than greetings in 16. There, um, well, there there are a lot of there are a lot of greetings, and there are uh, there's a lot of other stuff there too. But um, yeah. We'll see how we do. It's difficult for me to take a big chunk and cover it right. Some people can do that and do it really well. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to do because I just, I just miss it and then I, I don't correlate it together back to you guys. And so I hope you bear with me. <laughs> Not trying to just cover it real quickly, uh, but but then again, I guess I am too. But um this section here is going to be really, we'll consider this the epilogue, which is mainly dealing with the end of a letter, and it deals with uh, Paul's ministry and his plans for the future, and uh, of course we get into the next chapter, we'll see some things about commendations and uh, uh, a lot of friends and people that, uh, that he knew of are mentioned in there, and that's what he'll be doing a lot in 16. A lot of these people he had never even met. He had never even been in Rome. And he wrote this great letter to them, and it was powerful. Book of Romans, doctrinally, can you think of anything more stronger than Romans? Uh, maybe some as equal, but stronger than that. These people had to be strong doctrinally to, to take this letter. Um, but I, I think it's uh, really something that, as bold as he is, bringing out to people that he really doesn't know. He'd never been there. And then he deals it with the strong and the weak believers. We've seen that. We kind of covered that area. Now what he's going to do is kind of defend his ministry. Not that people are challenging him, but he's showing his motive and what he was doing and showing that this is for the glory of God and how God had equipped him and doing what he did. So we kind of get to the personal side of Paul a little bit. We get to see a little bit of inside uh, himself and see how he works on that. In our section tonight, 14 through 33, I hesitate to read all that at one time. We'll probably do it in little chunks, but uh, if we start in verse 14, I want to zoom down into 17 to start off with, just to get us uh, our, on our bearings. This is the main point of this section. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. 
I have reason to glory. And the word therefore is there for a reason because verses 14 through 16 help support this main point of verse 17 and then 18 and on down. He starts in verse uh, 18 with the word for. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So really 17 is kind of the the middle verse, main point. Uh, Everything else is going to kind of support it at least through 20, 21. And then we'll move on from there. And another point that we're going to be seeing is that God graciously works through His people to do His ministry. Uh, and and it's, it's through the Spirit of God that His ministers are able to do that. And, and, and anybody, and people in the church, as, the, as they serve in the church. Uh, we have a main point. It's the, about the very um, glory of God. It's for um, the fact that Jesus Christ is to be held up. He's the one to be bragging about. And uh, that's, that's the focal point of ministry anyway, isn't it? That's what it's about. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this evening and again, a precious time to be able to to gather around and uh, look at your word. Uh, As we go through um, some sections, uh, sometimes I can take uh, one part and think it's a little bit less than another, but it's not. It's all your word. Everything is very important. May we not ever see it that it's... uh, uh, to be taken lightly. Uh, everything has strength and it comes from you. May we be able to understand that a little better. And uh, thank you for the time that we've had and uh, this week and the next week as we uh, pull to a close this uh, this great book that you've given us. What a blessing it's been. And we pray for your Holy Spirit again tonight to uh, help us understand you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's... Uh, Let's take 14. Let's let's read that and go down through about verse 20. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elycrium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So there's our first part that we're trying to cover tonight. The second half then talks about his plan to visit Rome and Spain. Paul was a very busy man. And uh, he's writing to a really faithful church. And he says, I'm confident concerning you. This Rome church was very strong, very foundational, very faithful. He was convinced of them. And uh, they had been proclaimed throughout the whole area, uh, the whole world, as a matter of fact. 
uh, what does it say in chapter 1, verse 8, if you remember? <laughs> First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Quite a commendable church that um, Paul knew about, that he had heard about. He couldn't wait to go there, wanted to go there so bad. Writes a letter to him here. So he is convinced of how faithful they are. He highly commends them. They've been highly commended to him. And he says three things about them here. They're full of goodness. They're filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So they're full of goodness. Now, they gave evidence that they were true, genuine believers. They were totally transformed by Jesus Christ. And he uses the word goodness there, and it's the word is agathosane. Can we all say that? Agathosane. <laughs> that word, though, is talking about not only just being good in a, in a sense of being kind and thoughtful. Hey, that's a good person but somebody who is morally and ethically good in, in every avenue, in every stream, as well as kindness and, and thoughtfulness. You go to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Right? They are full of goodness. The word pleroma means to be like filled up all the way to the brim and uh, overflowing, <laughs> totally full, pleroma, fullness, fullness of goodness. That's what they were. And when you think about that, you go, wait a minute. Wait, nobody's good. Well, yes and no. We're not good in, a, in the flesh. Robert Haldane says, in our flesh there is nothing good. We know that, right? Sounds scriptural. And then he comes back and says, but from the work of the Spirit in our hearts, we may be full of goodness. So, in ourselves, no. But in Christ and in the Spirit, yes, we should be full of goodness. Ephesians 2.10. Everybody knows Ephesians 2.8 and 9. What does verse 10 say? It's dealing with the works, the good works. If you have been transformed, then you will have works. Good. Goodness. It will be a, an evidence might as well go to Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Paul wrote to uh, the Colossians. says something along the same lines. Verse 3, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Colossians 1. Sorry there. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. I haven't read 6 yet. The truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world. Sounds like the Roman church. And is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. See what happens when we experience the Word of God in our lives. We let the Spirit of God come into us and let Him control, and we desire that. The fruit happens, and um, we see the great grace of God that worked in it. It's all His grace. He gets all the glory in it. But they heard the Word of truth, the Word of God. And you know, it's kind of interesting. In verse 4, you have the word faith. And then also, in verse 4, you have love. 
and in verse 5, you have hope. Those three words kind of go together. Paul uses that uh, a few times in the New Testament. Faith, hope, love. These are the three gifts that will remain. And so he mentions that there. What a great encouragement. The faith they had in Christ. So that, that Colossae church is a good example too. Well, they were full of goodness. Now, what's the next one? They were filled with what? Knowledge. And the word is uh, gnosis. And it just doesn't mean to have knowledge as in knowing, as in the intellect, but it's talking about a deep knowledge. A deep knowledge. Going into it of knowing the truth knowing the precious truths of the glorious gospel, what all it means and how uh, it affects you, you know, in the sense of, of, of your living of it. I think the church at Rome was very strong doctrinally for Paul to write what he did there. And he wrote this doctrinal letter. They were able to uh, read that and probably think on it and study on it and maybe do some things like, what we do, I'm sure they sat around it when one person got that letter, you know, and then they read it to them, and they'd probably say, hey, <laughs> let's get around and let's let's uh, take that apart a little bit. Um, Romans 12, yeah, verse 1 and 2, which deal, deals with the living of it, but also the intellectual knowledge of it, where then the living is able to work forth from there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Knowledge. They were filled with knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 connects thinking and acting or behavior. Thinking and behavior. And then, boom, he took off from 12, and then we saw it in 12 and 13 and 14, and right on in through 15 of, of living the Christian life and how it works. And then we see the, all the fruit that's coming out of the, the Roman church and Paul's letters and the whole body of Christ. Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, just up to the brim. They're not lacking, are they? I don't think this Roman church was lacking at all. They were not only not only did they have goodness and knowledge, but they were able then to minister to each other, to admonish one another. That means they're competent to counsel. They're able to counsel each other. But when you have a church where each person is able to go around helping, encouraging, counseling, um, warning, advising people, can you see how that can really make an effect on the body? Um, and this is where counseling, I think, has, in our time, has a total misunderstanding. <clears throat> if you don't have a degree, if you haven't gone to college, then you're not worthy to be a counselor to people. And so, therefore, a pastor is not able to counsel because he didn't take counseling classes. Have you heard of that? I have. All over the, the church today. They're afraid to do that. Um, either they say, that's not my specialty. How many times do you go to a doctor and then they'll say, a general practitioner and he'll send you to a specialist who, that's all he does. 
And that's kind of the way it's gotten in the church. A pastor should be able to counsel, but not only a pastor, but who else? Everybody else. Now, there are certain gifts that certain people have that maybe they have uh, a way of understanding some things maybe a little bit more than maybe another person in certain areas, and, and God can certainly use that, but that doesn't say that there's only one person or two people that can, that can counsel. We all should be able to do that in, in that sense. I, I think it's a duty for all of us. Why? Because the Word of God. That's, that's what we have. We have the Word. Everybody should be able to counsel. You know what has happened? Pastors have gotten sued because they gave biblical advice, biblical counsel that was good, and then somebody went out and, let's say, committed suicide. And then guess who gets blamed? Well, the counselor. Maybe the pastor did. And so now because of that, pastors are afraid to do anything because, hey, what right do I have to do it? I haven't been given my degree. I can't do that. And God says here, we have every right to do that. Matter of fact, I think we're commanded to do that. And so I think that's where the world has manipulated that kind of thinking. And you know what's interesting? This this really boggles me. Whenever there is an immediate problem in a family, and let's say you take, uh, and this actually happened, but you take a little kid who is, uh, let's say, 12 years old, and he um, is seriously thinking about taking his life. Seriously. He's drawn pictures and everything, and he's he even tells to his friends, this is what I, I have done. This is I have failed, but I'm going to do it again. And then you talk to that individual, and you start telling them about the things of God, and you talk to the parents, you know, and they're all in agreement, but they still have to go to a counselor, a real counselor. The counselor says, first thing, well, you know what? Maybe it'd be good if you guys got a divorce. Everything and I'm putting this personal, everything that I said, and, and the mother told me this, was shot down by that professional counselor. wasn't a Christian. And he had some other advice. And it was everything that I had said was uh, uh, he was against. And it blew everything. Matter of fact, the, the husband and or the father was even considering of coming back home. But whenever he heard what this professional counselor said, that approved to him that, hey, what he's doing is okay. He was convicted by God's Word, and then somebody else tells him something, so he goes back to what was comfortable. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that uh, you run into. I th but I think we, we all are equipped to use God's Word for admonishment, uh, the church is the place for this. It's a good thing to do. Nutheteo, encourage, warn, advise. Romans 12, 6 would be a good indication. A lot of passages we can go with. But. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. A prophecy and let us prophesy in proportion, you know, form down ministry and such. Use your gifts, whatever it is. Use them. And, and, and pray. You know, that you would say the right things. Be in prayer about it uh, most of all. But then when you get the opportunity, you just use God's Word. And uh, let Him let Him work there.
so he says that's what they are. They're, they're filled with goodness, filled with knowledge, and they're able to admonish one another. Then he says, nevertheless, <laughs> brethren, and he calls them brothers, I've written more boldly to you. Paul is very bold. And so he's been writing to who? He's been writing to people who were maybe like young in the faith or weak, and then the strong, and he's telling that the strong a lot of times have to give up their liberties for uh, for the weak. And there were a lot of different occasions of that, a lot of wisdom to be used in that, but uh, he laid down the principles in that. Um, quite, the, quite the strength that he brought forth in that. But in, uh, in uh, 15, some points have been written very boldly. And I remind you, and that's really what the Word of God does. We, how many times have you guys read through the Bible? Hopefully, probably a few times, maybe at least once, reading through it. We know a lot of things there, but we always need to be reminded. Keep this as a memorial. Remember the Sabbath. <laughs> Remember, you know, how many times God does it all the time. So he's, he's reminding them because of the grace given to me by God. Now, the church was grace, but Paul was given a grace to do what he did in the special ministry that he had. Uh, this was an authority that came from God. He was an apostle. Uh, he was to proclaim the Word of God. And he only did it by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, go back to Romans 1. Verse 1. Paul, a bondservant, or better, slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And move on down to verse 5 for time purposes. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Where we take that gospel, what we want the people to do is to be obedient to God. Jesus gave the authority to the apostles and then also the church that we are to uh, was it Matthew 28? We are to disciple people, teaching them to observe all the commands that Jesus had given to, for them to be obedient. We give them the gospel so that ultimately that they would be, be made holy, that they would be uh, obedient. Those two go hand in hand. Romans here in our section here will say that again. Tonight, I think obedient in verse 18 will be one section. Um, every believer is given the grace, so we can we can see where Paul is given the grace in his apostleship and his ministry. But we're all given the grace to do the ministry and the living out of everything. So, key word that he uses there. That's not anything different than uh, Paul would ordinarily say, is it? Because of the grace given to me by God, Paul was never focused on Paul, was he? Look what great things I have done. You Roman church, you need to look and see what I've done. This, I've done some great things. I mean, I really have some deep teachings to give you guys. <laughs> Paul knew where it came from. And he, that's where he's getting into it here. Uh, 16. And this goes into um, a priest of God. 
he's, he's in a sense a priest. Now, now, the priestly system no longer really pertains that, that we know in the Judea, uh, Judaism system, but as far, as far as Paul is concerned, he was, in a way, a priest. It says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Priest of God. He said, where do you see priest of God? Now, are there any translations out there that acts as a priest? NIV, they did a good job, right? I'm, I'm in the ESV. Oh, you got an ESV. And they say priest. That is an excellent translation. What's the NAS say? As a priest of the gospel. Uh-huh. Fantastic. So you're the only one that doesn't have priest in huh. You guys are making me look bad. <laughs> Next January, I'm going to have me a new version. <laughs> I kept looking at it in here, and I, I was looking at the Greek words and, and the commentaries, and they kept saying priest, and I'm going, what? Priest? Oh, I better look this word up. And uh, the, the word actually is it's, it's associated with uh, what priestly duties would be. Well, he doesn't say he is a priest. He says no. he is ministering as a priest. As a priest. And uh, that's that's the whole point. It, now, who's the, who's the great high priest? Who is the priest? Jesus Christ. He's the mediator, right? Mediator of the, of the covenant. The perfect high priest. One mediator. Now, in a sense, we all are priests. When you go to First Peter, we find out that we are uh, a royal priesthood. That means kings, priests, royal priesthood. <laughs> That's interesting. Put those two together. But we're priests in, that, in the sense that we can go directly to Christ. We have access right to God. But we also represent God to the lost, unbelievers. So we're priests in that sense too, aren't we? We're not priests like the Levitical system, but we're priests in that in that sense. In, uh, and you'll see that in 1 Peter 2.5, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 20, where, where you see the priesthood. But Paul had this one word, you probably see it on your sheets there, liturgos. And that's how we get the word priestly duties or priest. My word is ministering or minister, but I uh, I don't think that's quite clear enough. His priestly ministry is to present to God an offering, and you catch that word offering there in verse 16? That would be a word that the people would be associated with if they knew the, the uh, Jewish system, the Levitical system. And uh, you would have the priest having offerings. They would uh, present up the sacrifices and offerings. Well, that's the thought here. So, Paul is going to present to God an offering. The offering is the Gentiles. And that they would be obedient, as we read further down in the next verse or two, that they'd be obedient and that they would be sanctified. Obedient, sanctified Gentiles, Paul brings to God as an offering of worship. That's what he's doing. So, he is like a priest. So he says, okay, here's a faithful church. I've been placed in kind of like a priest in a sense. Be a minister. Christ. Presenting the Gentiles. And I, I think as, as we see this, that um, he had tact, but he was very bold at the same time. He was able to uh, use words, and he never minced words. He got to the truth, but at the same time, he knew how to do it very lovingly, too, as uh, he mentions here. But he, he wants them to be acceptable. He wants them to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit 
And we move into verse 17. Now he gets into the preacher aspect. And and the word will pop up in verse 19 and in verse 20. Fully preach the gospel. Verse 20, preach the gospel. Verse 17 is the hinging verse. It's the goal verse of this all. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. As being like a priest, as being a preacher, then Christ gets all the glory. So he boasts only in Christ. Only in the Lord does he boast. All glory to Him, right? So, do we ever have any right to take any credit for what God has done in us? <laughs> Never, right? We want a glory in Christ only. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, real quick. I like verse 27 out this. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should, should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so we see where we came from. Don't you like that section? He chose the weak things. Yeah. Look where He placed us. Incredible. Paul's goal is to boast in Christ. He's saying, my work is actually His work. It's His work that's going through me. I'm just an instrument here. Um, He emphasizes obedience. I think we see this at the... eh, Verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Go to that just for a moment. That is saying, okay, the word is to be proclaimed so that the people would obey. It's not to be proclaimed just so they would be convinced and persuaded that the word of God is true, but that they would become obedient to the faith. Romans 6, doesn't it say something like that? Become obedient. They were slaves who became obedient to the faith. They became slaves of righteousness. At the end of uh, 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So they just didn't obey here and then live another way. (laughs) You know, they heard the Word of God, but they came obedient from the heart, from the form of doctrine. So it's always based on this. Paul always puts that forth. How can you be obedient unless you have the doctrine? But then you just can't have the doctrine and not have obedience. Paul knew that. And that's why that next 
uh, phrase that I have there. I, I have it C under three there. In word and deed, uh, there are the talk and the walk. The talk and the walk. Word and deed. Paul lived out the very doctrine that he taught. So it would say, uh, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed. Okay, I've spoken it, but I've also lived it out. He did what he said. There is a movie out. Blindside. And I read, what is it? Blindside. Blindside. And you, did you read the review in, in the, uh, the magazine? World. World Magazine. Good review in there. The Sandra Bullock, I don't, as uh, far as I know, this is not a Christian, but, she, and matter of fact, she doesn't like all the people doing the Christian hoopla and they say this and then they live another way, and she has seen that all of her life. She's not impressed by Christians at all. But there was this movie that's, that's out, Blindside, is actually a true story of um, a family and a, a lady that actually picked up uh, a guy that was walking out on the streets in January, in the middle of winter, it was cold, and he had shorts on and uh, no jacket, and he didn't have a ride or anything. She picked him up, later became part of the family. They helped him out in so many ways. Uh, he was not a student to becoming a, um, a student on the dean's list. They sent him to college. And now he is probably going to be the rookie of the year. A very good possibility. I don't know which team. I think it's Baltimore. And um, that is an incredible story. And now she said after visiting that family and Sandra Bullock, that, which is the actor playing the, the Christian lady, that was a Christian family, after she met her and saw her lifestyle and being around her, she said, finally, there's somebody that walks the walk. That's, that's dazzling. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But she hasn't seen that too often. So I, I think that, uh, that says a lot. Now, Dennis, we don't want to beat people up now. We <laughs> <laughs> want to always leave him happy. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> Go see the movie, right? I haven't seen the movie yet. I, I, I might check that out. But well, the magazine gave good reviews on it. I thought so. I, I gotta go. See, I gotta check it. What is that place online that I think it reviews movies like from a Christian viewpoint or something like that? Plugged is it in. online? Plugged in. Yeah. yeah. It's focused on the family. Is that what that does? Yeah. Okay. Check that one out. Go see what they say. Plugged in. Com or? I think it's. If you Google plugged in online, you'll find it. Yeah. You know, as Sandra Bullock said that, finally, somebody that walked the walk, I'd like to come back and say, finally, a movie that has good Christian values. <laughs> Don't see that. Don't see that much at all. And it's amazing how many people go to those kind of movies. Isn't it interesting? People have no hunger for that. Plugged in, actually. They're watching the money and all the shows and all the, and the PG movies and all that. They actually do better than they do the R-rated ones. But they don't. It's like they don't want to admit it. They don't want to tell you. They watch those stats. They watch the shows. But out the good family movies, they're wanting to see those shows. And you're making the money. 
Well, something encouraging, of course, of course, this is a Christian market, so there, but, you know, we have like, um, there's a lot of different comedy videos that are coming out in the Christian realm. These guys are very talented. They're very good. It's usually, usually good anyway. But used to the, sometimes it wasn't so good, but I think they've improved a lot. There's a uh, good commercial here, isn't it? Better Stuff like this. <laughs> Getting this on, yeah? <laughs> Bananas and, uh, I don't know, just a whole line of different guys that have come out. This Thou uh, Shalt Laughs and some of them, most of them are very clean. What's that? The guy at Crossover Festival that was there on the Friday. Oh. I, I liked him. I've never heard him before. Uh, if Zach were in here, he would tell us. Where did he go? The time to leave. He's never... Yeah, okay. Moving on. All right. Oh, my. You guys ready? Okay, let's go. Okay. Um, verse 19, qualifier, in mighty signs and wonders. Of course, we know that Paul was an apostle. Second Corinthians 12, 12 says that he had those those signs. And it was in mighty signs and wonders that people convinced by him by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Lycrim I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Here he's saying that uh, the power of the Spirit. He proclaimed the Word of God with the power of the Spirit of God, and it was evidenced. You know, Paul even had his preaching authenticated, but even with that, regeneration is the greatest miracle that we'll ever see. When a, a life is dead and it comes to life. A life is dead. <laughs> that was a life. And then he says the gospel is fully preached. Could have used your memory while ago a little bit, Zach, and of all the times that you never leave the room and just just when we could have used some some really good answers that we needed. You weren't here. Epic. <laughs> Hanging his head. Yeah, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> Boy, you can tell when people are over fifty. <laughs> I'm not over 50 yet, I remember. You're right at the door. Um, they wanted to know Do you remember? who the comedian was last year at Crossover on that Friday night. Oh, this summer. This past summer. Oh. Uh, oh, wow. Was Finally. Well, he doesn't know something. Night. That was Mike, that was Mike, Mike Williams, though. Oh, okay, there we go. Mike, Mike Williams. Yeah. Yeah. It's the big guy. Yeah. He is. He is funny. That's why it's so hard to make it as a comedian. Nobody can remember your name. <laughs> yeah, if you hang around the 50-year-olds, nobody will ever be. <laughs> that one guy. That one guy. Hey, Bill, you turn in 50 the next year? Uh, yeah, next May. Yeah, yeah. You, you hit this, and it's just like this. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, it doesn't matter after that. It's trapdoor open. Yeah, it's trapdoor. All <laughs> Some of you guys have 30 years to go. Don't let them scare you. I remember everything the same way I always have. <laughs> yeah, I really, I blame it on my age, but I've always liked that. Okay. Did you think Paul actually took the gospel and fulfilled that? Did he actually do that? Did he fully preach it? Yeah. He presented it thoroughly, didn't he? 
And he faithfully ministered. In every place that he went, he preached the gospel. We know that. And we look in verse 20 and 21, and, and he says, And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, but as I should build on another man's foundation, but as is written, and he uses a quote here, um, to whom it was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. We see Paul as an evangelist. If you're a preacher of the gospel, you boast only in the Lord, you emphasize obedience to Christ, in the power of God's Spirit, you fully preach the gospel, and the good news is proclaimed. And uh, this is what Paul did. That's, I mean, and, and he was an evangelist elite. And he didn't build upon other foundations. Uh, he basically really went to places where nobody else had ever gone. You know, we have missionary work today, and it'll go into little pockets maybe where the gospel is not preached. But he went into whole areas where he had never, ever gone. And uh, thank the Lord we have missionaries that go out today and go to places where people have never heard. And, of course, there's so many, even here. I mean, it's just everywhere. All across the world, it's still that way. But as a whole, it's it has gone out into all languages and all parts of the world. But he didn't build on another foundation. He'd lay it. Maybe somebody else would come along and, and build on that, you know, like... Uh, Apollos, you know, maybe Paul planted and Apollos watered or whatever in 1 Corinthians 3. Some uh, Sometimes others do build on others' work. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, but in, in this case, uh, it needed somebody to take that out. And that's what Paul did. What a, a great work he had. We're all called to be witnesses, aren't we? And Paul is certainly uh, setting the example there. Verse 21, he quotes out of Isaiah 52:15. Just in case somebody wants to be solidified with Scripture, Paul comes along and says, oh, by the way, <laughs> he doesn't say this comes out of Isaiah, but it says this is written. And uh, he uses uh, Old Testament quote as he does so much. All through Romans, you can't hardly miss it. He's always putting other texts in there to show that the Word of God... Um, is to be interpreted by other parts of God's word. I have a question. Now we know that the, the 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 this is the word of the Lord and it's it's divinely inspired. But do you think he carried around an Old Testament with him? So that he, I mean, considering that he may have actually once or twice looked stuff up instead of actually having it. Have any answers on this one? I don't think so. What was the question? You got to say it loud. Okay. Okay. Say it. That that. I was asking if he kept a copy of the Old Testament with him at all times. I bet he did. You know. He did have yeah, for the scrolls. He did have yeah, yeah, for scrolls and parchments, you know. But a lot of that because he was he was the he was a big teacher. Yeah, he knew his Old Testament. He was a Pharisee, so yeah. he, he he drew a lot from right here. Yeah, yeah but he did. Then you didn't have this, so you had to remember stuff. You know. Yeah. Well, how much, Eldon probably knows this, how much of the law did, like, the, the Pharisees, for instance, memorize? Right. Yeah. The people in the synagogue. Yeah. 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 That's right. So, yeah, whether he 
took it. Maybe he had just been reading through uh, one of the scrolls. Uh, how many scrolls would it be? How do you carry those around? That would be a real, a real gift, you know, in that scripture where he has to bring him the scroll. I bet that would really be a thrill, even for somebody like Paul, to be able to sit down and look at him. Oh, man. No kidding. Well, he, yeah, he told Timothy to, to bring bring his his books and, and the scrolls, yeah, and the writings, and... Now, Brad Stein did a good one on this. You guys remember that? He had the scrolls. He go, right. you know, just, uh, Zach was just doing that. Careful there. Yeah, he stretched himself out on the floor. Now, excuse me just a moment, you know, as he got down and rolled that thing out. Okay, ready for part two? This is characteristics of ministry. He's going to be talking about Spain here, and he's going to be talking about uh, gathering up uh, money for uh, Jerusalem. But what we're going to see in this is different parts or what the nature of ministry is. And the first one is going to be dealing with the providence of God. For this reason, that's a pretty good thing to always put after, after he's said all this. Now, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. For what reason? I'm missing Okay. For this reason. For okay, now he's been talking about, he's been telling about his ministry that God has put him in, all for the glory of God, and, you know, of course the qualifications that, that he's had from, from the Lord, and he's fully preached the gospel. And, and because of all this, and because, you know, I'm, I'm writing to you Roman people, as he started all the way back in the verse 14 concerning you, and, and here's what this is, I've been much hindered. From coming to you, I can't. I can't get there. Okay. Uh, because he's got all this other work that he's been doing. Well, the the hindering is that God wouldn't let him. <laughs> but he wanted to go there, but he didn't get there the way that he thought he was going to go. God had to make it a little bit different, but it was free. <laughs> That's right. It was. Now, that word hindered, that's very interesting. You might have it on your notes. I don't know how much I put there, but literally it means to cut, to cut into, uh, take a road and put a trench across that road. Now, it's going to be hard to get across that road if uh, you take about a few inches. You ever gone across a road that, where they've dug a trench like that? Well, how about where it's a foot across? Don't be don't be crossing that road, right? That's going to hinder your your little trip. You're going to mess up all sorts of things. Well, d- what they would do, the enemy would drill deep trenches in the road uh, to keep the other enemy from as they follow them to um, to keep coming. It, it, it would hinder them. Well, he's saying that God hindered him. That means God controls events in certain things in a non-miraculous way. A lot of times he intervenes miraculously. There are other times, and most of the time, he does not deal in a miraculous way. He, he does it in an indirect way. And, of course, you can think of Joseph. The story of Joseph in, in Genesis, right at the end there, you know, and, of course, then Joseph says, you know, you know, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So he used all those little different deals that, that kept piling up. This was all God's plan. But he used 
indirect ways here in bringing out the uh, events in the way that he wanted to happen. So God orders all the natural events so they will accomplish his will. This is how sovereign he is. Paul believes in a sovereign grace God, I will tell you. And we've already seen the grace. He says, all this is by God's grace in my ministry. It's not me, you know, myself. Here it is here. I can't even get to you guys. I, I, I recognize who you are and what God has done for me, and, and I'm writing to you boldly, and, but yet um, I, I can't get there. God cut a trench, <laughs> and He kept me from going. Go to First Thessalonians 2. Let's see what uh, Paul has to say here as he wrote to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with a great desire, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Well, there's Satan doing that. Well, Satan has a lot of power. He has more power than man does. But God has more power than Satan, and if God wants his plan to be done, God is going to do that. But he does the same thing there as he did in the book of Job. God allows Satan to be part of the plan, ultimately. Yeah, Barb. Was, was Paul referring to the same thing back in um, uh, 1.13, Romans 1.13? Uh, I, I think so, Barb. Yeah, and he uses that word hindered again. Prevented, hindered. Until uh, until now, it might have some fruit. Yeah, as as he's writing to him. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the same kind of thing. I, I, I think he really wanted to go there. Really bad. And God did get him there eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay. And this is the great Apostle Paul. Yay. Under guard with a free ride. That's right. Can't beat that. But Paul sure didn't plan that out, did he? <laughs> the next to swim, if I remember correctly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, get that. Acts 16.7. He blanked out. <laughs> we'll catch you later on that. Bill will get you on that. Okay. Uh, 16.7. After they had come to uh, Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, they had all good intentions. They, I'm sure they had prayed about it. I'm sure that they thought, hey, this is an opening. This is the place to go. And then we, we read on. Here's what God had in mind. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over here. <laughs> Come over to Macedonia and help us. So that's what God is saying. Down at the end of 10, it says, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Even the great apostle Paul didn't always know where God was taking him. And it was a good thing that he didn't know what was it was going to be. Aren't you glad you don't know how your life is going to end up? Aren't you glad? <laughs> oh, Paul even didn't either. Proverbs 16.9. Oh, we have to look at these these favorite verses. 
I think this gives us encouragement. Well, even the great Apostle Paul didn't even know some of these things. He had to just rely by faith, didn't he? 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Sovereignty of God, providential God. Boy, I love that kind of doctrine, don't you? We're getting doctrine with practice here, I think. Uh, Proverbs 19.21 You know these Proverbs. These, these just remind us. There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. So it's good for us to plan. Matter of fact, the next verse is going to bring that forth in, in our Romans text. We do make plans. But God might change that plan. <laughs> or He might give it a lot more depth. Anyway. God kept him from going to certain places, uh, and God never even necessarily told Paul why. God did his will. Paul was letting God providentially control this, and at the same time, little small details are all coming together. And, and yet, we see in the next verse, in 23, it's not that Paul is a puppet, as people would like to say. He's still doing his planning which is wise. That's what we are supposed to do. And yet God might take that and totally turn it around differently, but it is good to have our own uh, plans and desiring that it would be God's will. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, (laughs) whenever I get there, Think I'm going to go there. I shall come to you. Whenever I go to Spain, I'm going to I'm going to see you guys. I'm going to be close to that area, so I'm going to make it there. We don't know for sure whether he really made it to Spain or not. Some say he did, some say not. There are different thoughts on that. I won't even get into that because I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. But he did make plans in his ministry there. He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to Rome. Paul pressed on to what was before him. I forget what lies behind me and press on towards the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ. That's the mark. That's where I'm heading. And we know ultimately where we're going to wind up anyway. As long as we know where the end of the race is at, we don't know what all is going to happen during that race. But we'll get there. Romans 1, 10 through 13. That's where Barb was, was just at. Verse 10, making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. <laughs> he really wanted to meet those guys. I don't blame him. Have you ever wanted to meet certain Christians? I was talking to Janice earlier, and she says one of the first ones she wants to look up after she sees you know, Christ and, and, and such is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And... No matter how much you want to today, it's impossible. You can't. You know, he's, he's with the Lord right now. But one of these days, we know we're going to be there. So we'll get to meet Him. You know, Can you imagine? Sometimes you know, we, we, we think of the apostles, of course, around Christ. And of course, that's, you know, Christ is the ultimate. That's where we want to be. But can you imagine meeting all the other fellow believers? Some of them are, are going to be known that are famous, great writers, that have helped us tremendously, that have helped us in this Bible study. <laughs> and, and other, uh, your favorite favorite preachers and writers. 
and we're going to meet them. But we and might have embarrassed if we haven't read a lot of their stuff. Yeah, really. No, I mean, did you did you read my book? Yes. Oh. Uh, well, you know, I started it. <laughs> I bought it for Dennis. It was really good for I had set on my shelf. You know? I had good intentions. <laughs> well, you need to get that Francis Chan book. That's right. I haven't read it yet. If I run into him, yeah. I've got your book. I really, I've been selling your book a lot. Oh, did you read it? Well, I haven't got a chance yet. Okay. Oh, I get that all day long. People say, you've read this, haven't you? <laughs> Can you tell me a little more about this book? <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like this. Last time I find a way in the will of God to come to you. If, if there going to be any way, if it's God's will. For I long to see you. I really do that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. Oh, I want to... You know, build you up even more. That is what I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, that I'll also get it from you. You know, and this is the apostle saying that. Now, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So, you know, that's that was his desires, that was his plans. But God's providence is all right there. We are to rely on His providence. Um, we have our plans. We desire God's will. But say, God's going to make this come the way that He wants so. 25 through 28 is deal, uh, dealing with giving. So a ministry is going to have God's providence, but yet it's going to take man's planning along with God's providence. How about J.I. Packer wrote a book one of the greatest books written in the 20th century. Can I say that? And it was a simple little book. You guys know what I'm talking about? Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. How, you know, we believe in the sovereignty of God. Well, why even be evangelist? Well, or it could be even this. How about prayer and the sovereignty of God? But he uses those. He, he, he uses us as means for his purpose to, to come to the end. He didn't have to, but, but he does. So you got God's providence, God's uh, letting us then also have our plans where he's putting his will into us and how that works out something else, isn't it? Giving. You have to have giving in, the, in, uh, in ministry. So that's what he does here in 25. Um, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain." So there's these plans. I want to go to. I have to go to Jerusalem first, though. Made a collection from the churches out in the Gentile world as a whole. Most of the church out there are Gentiles. They've gotten together, put money for the saints that are back in Jerusalem, who mostly are Jewish Christians, and they're having a hard time there. There is persecution going on because they're Christians. There is a famine that's going on in Jerusalem and in Israel. People don't have jobs. Ooh, 
could be something like what our country could be, right? The, some people are really having some difficult times. Well, there you have some people that are not doing that great out there in the Gentile world, and they're putting in contributions in a huge way, and they don't really have that much money. But they're just packing it in. Paul's collecting it as he goes. There's a lot of fruit that he's bringing back materially. And then they're hearing about all these people coming to Christ that weren't even Jews and what news that he's going to bring when he gets into Jerusalem. So what a ministry he's got, not only taking it out to the rest of the world, but then collecting money from those new converts, taking it back. Wow, what a what a ministry. So he, he wanted to go there to give that offering. Because of this great famine, the, the great poverty that's that's around there, you get oh, First Corinthians sixteen one, and um, he says now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. He's telling the Corinthians, you, you know those guys, <laughs> you know all the problems that they had there in the Corinthian church, and he's saying, hey, guys. Don't embarrass me. You know, we're, we're getting some other churches that are getting this together. Make sure that when you come together on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I'll send to you a barrier gift to Jerusalem. Anyway, um, that's that's part of that. We, there's a lot of verses we could go to. Second Corinthians 8, you can see the people joyfully giving. I mean, joyfully giving to uh, the contribution to the saints. And I like that word contribution. Um, and you guys might have fellowship in, in verse 26. A certain contribution for the poor. Do you see that? Do you have that? Do you have contribution? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, The word there is, you guys will all be familiar with, it's koinonia. Contribution, koinonia. Usually for koinonia, it's, it means fellowship. Well, that's kind of what it means. It means a sharing, a fellowship. They're sharing together. They're fellowshipping there uh, with um, the contributions of money. Financial sharing. It's a gift. And you know what, what's happening too? Ephesians 2 talks about the barriers, the barrier that's between Jew and Gentile. And all of a sudden you have money coming in from the Gentile Christian and it's going to the Jewish Christian and the barriers have been broken down spiritually but boy the physical barriers are really being broken down whenever the money is just flooding in from out there in the rest of the world that had to break some barriers down incredibly didn't it God's formula for great giving you know what it is severe trials (laughs) overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Boy, that doesn't fit the health, wealth, gospel, does it? He used all of that for bigger purposes. Why would God give so much hardship on the church back in Jerusalem? That's where it all started. Why why didn't they just lift this up and make them look really good and you know, they they could just have great big shining dome churches there, you know, made of gold, and people would be drawn, attracted to, to the church because of the visible outward sign that God is blessing them. No, they were poor. They were in terrible condition, and God used that for so many other reasons. He used trial, He used joy, He used poverty. 
And you know what? In verse 29, we get fullness of blessing. Didn't he use, did he use guilt because the Romans were still <laughs> occupying Jerusalem at the time, were they? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's right. That is very true. There you have the, the Roman church, and, you know, the, yeah, it wasn't until much, well, later that uh, he finally had the total... Well, God Even in the, the, the second century. That's right. That's right. <laughs> God really, he's got this thing down a lot better than we think, you know? <laughs> God's sovereignty and his providence, incredible. Verse 29, uh, But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Whenever I get there, if it's God's will, whenever I get there, fullness of blessing is going to be. Even with the persecution that Paul had, the afflictions that Paul had, Paul saw his ministry as just abundantly blessed. And you go back and you see all the persecutions and all the times that he took a whipping, literally, from people who hated the gospel that he brought. But he said, blessed. I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing. There's two kinds of blessing. One of them we have right now, every one of us. Every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1, we have every spiritual blessing. We have everything we need. We have it. We have it now. There's a second blessing. Not the second blessing. (laughs) There's a second kind of blessing here. It's a blessing on our work. Our work in the Lord. And that's what Paul had. Look at all the churches that had been established through him by the Spirit of God because of the gospel of Christ. And so he says, I shall come in the fullness of of the blessing. I already had a blessing now, but look at you know look at what how God blessed, and then when I get there, verse thirty through thirty three is dealing with prayer. So when you have this ministry, what do you have? God's providence. You have man's planning. You have giving involved. You have fullness of blessing that's involved if if one is successful. And you don't measure that by the way that world measures it, but you measure it by the depth of what is in people. And it's not always number of people. It can be in that sense. So that can be great. But it's how what takes effect in people's lives in the Word of God. 30-33 says prayer. That's, that's a good thing. It started with providence. It uh, winds up with prayer. Paul knows what he's doing as he writes this out. It's not just a mumble-jumble stuff here at the end of Romans, is it? Oh, by the way, oh, yeah, uh, put this down there. Um, I thought of something else. No, it, it's all still in perfect form. He wanted them to pray for his protection and safety. Good thing to do when you're out there ministering is to have a lot of prayer warriors for you. People at Rome can really be valuable, he's thinking. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where I'm begging from, and through the love of the Spirit, huh, you got Christ there, you have Spirit there, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Oh, what do you see there? You remember the uh, the time that we spent a little bit on seeing with a Trinity vision? You know, look at how many p- the passages. Don't look. You don't have to look too far to see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
how they work together. They're right there in one verse. That's a Trinity verse right there. To defend that, if you ever need it, that's a good one to say. That you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. We might just hinge on that phrase for a moment. We're about ready to close this out. That word striving together, that means work. It means to agonize. I'll put it like this. Do you have it on your outline? Did I put it on there? Suna gonizomai. Agonizomai. Take off the soon or the sun, and you have agonizomai. Guess what? Agony. Agony. That's where our English word came from. <laughs> soon just multiplies it that much more and, and means together. So it means to struggle, to fight intensely, to agonize. They use this word for uh, training for the Olympics, to agonize, to really work hard at it. So when we pray, it is maybe the hardest thing to do. Don't feel too guilty, but feel guilty enough of saying, I want my prayer life to, to be improved because every one of us have a lot of room for that to be improved. Ah, yes. <laughs> but I don't want to make you feel bad. <laughs> but at the same time, we want that to, to take a step up. The thing is, it's hard to pray. It is easy sometimes to read the Word, to study, to really get into that. You see the fruit of it. Boy, to prayer all sorts of things start coming through your mind. You're doing real good, and all of a sudden you're thinking of, of what you have to do. It's, it started off in a good thing. You were, you were praying for the right thing, and, and you were thinking on that, and all of a sudden you're not thinking about the Lord, and all of a sudden you're thinking about something else that's not even in the prayer anymore. <clears throat> and you're saying, how do you know that? I think we probably all do that. And, and, and that's part of the, the struggle. Um, I'm not trying to put guilt. That's, that's some of the, the deal, but... If we all are struggling at that, honestly, and saying, hey, I want prayer to be a big part of my life. Paul knew that. Let's try. Let's really work at this. In prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea. He has to go to Jerusalem. A lot of enemies there in Jerusalem of Paul, the former Pharisee, who is now a devout Christian and an apostle of Jesus Christ our Lord, who's making an impact on the whole world. And when he comes into Jerusalem, they don't want any more of that. Well, when he does get to Jerusalem, what does happen to him? He gets arrested and gets his free trip to Rome. Okay. I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, sound to the Romans here, that I may become with joy by the will of God, and he did, and may be refreshed together with you. So, pray for me, he says, struggle over it, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he closes that chapter with a prayer. And the practical lesson is there, be careful what you pray for. Yeah, can you see him every got arrested? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Rome. 
divvy it in. Actually, at that point, you're probably like, God, that's not funny. Yeah. But it was God's will. But at the same time, it sure seems like a long way around. God could have made it a lot easier. And He could do that for all of us. But thank the Lord that He doesn't. Because in our struggle, this is how we learn to trust in Him more and more. And that's what Paul did. And that's what we have to do regardless. That's that's part of the deal. And it's a good thing. Yeah. We... Yeah. yeah. That's what we call the trial. We, I'm convinced we miss a lot of our blessings because we call them bad things that hmm. happen to good people. They're actually good bad things, things, aren't they? They're blessings. Those are the blessings. We redefine bad, maybe, huh? Yeah. It's all things work together for good. Wow. In the providence of God. God is lifted up here. Jesus Christ was lifted up here. The Holy Spirit was given um, glory for His work in there. We saw the triune God in a little text here that didn't seem to have much doctrine in it, and it was just packed, but it's practical stuff of how we live this out. And so we know that was apostles' ministry, but at the same time, this is stuff that we all are acquainted with too in our own lives. 